Well, it's good to be with you guys this morning. I'm blessed to be with you. If you're a visitor, please feel welcome. Um, you are welcome. As you turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 8, um, when you, everyone who's walking out after the service, you'll be given an invitation to our worship night on June 23rd from 6 to 8 p.m. Um, if you, that's an invitation for you. We want to remind you uh, of it, uh, and th- this will be a good reminder. But also, if you want to begin to invite people to that worship night, at the reception, there'll be several hundred more. You can take a stack of them, and you can begin to invite your, your colleagues or your friends and family, uh, because it's important that unbelievers are invited as well so they can hear the gospel. I can guarantee you guys, if you do your job in inviting people, especially unbelievers and also Christians, to be encouraged that night, the gospel will do its job. The gospel is powerful. The Bible says that um, uh, in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power unto salvation. Uh, For everyone who believes, it's important that we get people and we start to understand that uh, the pastors of this church are not the primary members. We collectively are the ministers of God to a perverse generation. So so grab a stack and let's make sure we're going to have at least four nights a year on Friday. We're just from 6 to 8 p.m. When you guys get off work, you come over and we have a time of worship a brief time uh, hearing the gospel and a time of prayer where people can come up and receive prayer from the pastors and prayer team. Just kind of an outreach night, a night where we wait upon God and the Holy Spirit. And I think it's important. Also, we we have such a good setup for music and we put a lot of efforts in the the sound and uh, we just want to do more of a worship night. And then ladies... On the 24th of June, come, uh, will you turn my mic up, please, Preston? Come to uh, the women's conference and make sure you sign up. We're not having sign-ups for the worship night because there's no food involved. But uh, there's breakfast and lunch for you ladies. So even if you don't like the word of God, come for the food. Um, On the 24th, from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., 2 or 3 p.m. is where you're in there. And they're going to do the whole lady thing. They're going to decorate it the way ladies would have the sanctuary decorated. Um, You know, probably different pinks and purples and whites and flowers. And you notice the way the sanctuary is decorated now is a man's way of decorating the sanctuary. That's because I decorated it. Um, we, we don't have those things on a regular basis, but you guys can have, you ladies can have those decorations now once a year as we will be having this women's conference every year. So come to those events. Let's pray over our hearing of God's word. Lord, we look to you to hear your word, to be changed by it. Lord, not just to be satisfied with our spiritual condition, but to receive power by your word 
through your Holy Spirit to be effective witnesses, to be effective Christians, Lord, that we just don't go eking or surviving our way through life, but we wake up each and every day in power and in strength as we rely upon your Holy Spirit. We need you, Lord. We're desperate for you. We're poor in spirit, broken and needy. And I pray you would come upon us now as we hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We are studying the book of Romans, and in the book of Romans is this doctrinal trustees that teaches us so much about ourselves and so much about God. The book of Romans is the greatest anthropological book. That word simply just means the study of man. And not only the 66 books of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, it is the greatest anthropological book of all time, teaching us exactly the truth about who man is, who we are. It is also one of the greatest theological books in all of the Bible and in all of the world of all time. This book teaches us so much. And as we've been learning these last few weeks, we've been in chapter seven and eight, we've learned that the law's purpose, that is the written law of God, given to Moses and passed down through the ages, thou shalt have no other gods before me, Um, thou shalt have not any graven images, and on and on the list goes, thou shalt not, thou shalt have five thou shalt nots, five thou shalt's. We understand as you develop, as we develop in maturity in Christ, it it is of vital importance that you recognize that the Christian life is not just about what we ought not to do, but it is about what we ought to do. If you don't come into this realization very early in your Christian life, you're going to be missing out on the greatest beauties of being with Christ and being in this Christian relationship with one another. And we get so focused on it. Oh man, I gotta stop drinking or drugging or sexual morality, I gotta stop cussing or this, I gotta stop this and this and this and this and this and this. We we focus on it so much, but to come into more of a mature relationship with God and with our fellow human beings is not about as much as what we're not supposed to do as what we're supposed to do. Very important. And even more profound than a statement like that, when we find ourselves doing what we're supposed to do, well, we don't find ourselves doing what we're not supposed to do. So the enemy tries to get us to just focus on not doing what we're not supposed to do while missing the things we're supposed to do. It's the difference between the sin of commission, committing sins, 
and the sin of omission, omitting, not doing those things that God has called us to do. And the law comes in convicting us of sin, also teaching us about sin. But the Bible has taught us here in Romans 7 and 8 and different parts of the book of Romans in the Bible, but especially the book of Romans, that even after we're born again, become Christians, lovers of Jesus Christ, even after that, and what is birth inside of us through the born-again experience, and that is the intention of doing right, both in what we're not supposed to do and what we're supposed to do. The intention of doing right still is being fueled so much by our flesh rather than the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why in chapter 7 of the book of Romans here, it kind of ended with, I find that the law is evil present with me, but the desire to do good is with me as well. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. Verse 22, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin and death? I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. So then my mind, with my mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So, it's teaching us that, that even after we're born again, understand, Paul is not talking about, oh, before I was saved, I wanted to do good, but I couldn't do good because of the flesh. Who's going to save me? No, he's talking about after he got born again, after Jesus Christ met this man on the road, along the way there, and uh, he, he, he falls off this horse and Saul of Tarshish becomes the Apostle Paul in that Jesus Christ speaks to him and saves him and he believes on him. What do you want me to do, Lord? Which, by the way, is a whole other sermon of itself. As soon as we get born again, what do you want me to do, Lord? Jesus Christ is my king. He's my savior. He's the boss. What's, what do you want me to do? An excellent response to salvation. It was after that that Paul now has within him the... Preston, can you turn my mic up so I don't have to shout so much? I find myself shouting. I like shouting a little bit when I'm passionate, but... And so, even after he's born again, he finds that when he fights the fight of faith and the power of the flesh that he loses every time. He cannot win. He, he's not victorious. So the answer is, who will save me? For now that I'm born again, I have the intention, I love the law of God, I want to obey God, I want to obey his commandments, but I'm still without strength. It's the Spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit. And that's what we come into in Romans 8. 
Even after the Bible tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, it seems so improbable, so impossible, because so many people in the world, including in the church, including in this room, guilt and condemnation. And in Romans 8.1, it teaches us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and, and it's making a, a positional statement, ladies and gentlemen. It's not saying there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who are just walking with the Spirit. No. Those who are born again have no condemnation on their lives. It's not a part of who they are because God sees us as perfectly holy as Jesus Christ is perfectly holy, perfectly righteous as Jesus Christ is perfectly righteous. So as we get through that chapter in chapter uh, 8 verse 1 and we come down to where we are in verse 12, even before that it says, if this seems unbelievable to you, how is it that, that we have the power now in Christ through the Holy Spirit to not be condemned. After such sexual immorality or crimes committed or drunkenness or selfishness or verbal or physical abuse to my wife or children, or my children, or an abortion, or multiple abortions. How is it that I cannot be condemned? And then on top of that, as the Bible's explaining to us, not only how is it that there is this power that I'm not condemned, that God sees me as perfectly righteous and perfectly holy, now after this through the Spirit of God, I can walk in righteousness. I can completely conquer sexual immorality. And, and many in this room, it's like, I've been watching pornography for 10 years. Five of those years, I've been born again. I've tried to stop. I've cried out. I've wept. There's been some year or two or months or whatever of success. And then I come back to it and I come back to it and I come back to it. What's happening? And the Bible encourages us there in verse let me go to verse 9 of chapter 8. But you are not in the flesh, but in, of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. If you get this, uh, Preston, fix that. It's ringing. Let me reread that though, guys. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So, 
You don't know how it's possible that you're not condemned after terrible sins. And your feelings of condemnation are irrelevant to your position in Christ. There is no condemnation. That is our position as Christians. Feelings and emotions, they lie. And when the accuser of the brethren, as Satan is called, or his demonic forces and principalities and powers, try to come, they can't come in us, but they try to tempt us and test us and, and, and tell us that we're condemned. You say, no, the Bible says there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's none. I don't believe it. And they're like, they start reminding you, oh, well, you've, you've had abortions or you've done this or you said this and, you, and, you, and you're just sitting there and you're like, no, wait, but I understand that, but Christ died on the cross. You know one of the problems for those who think they're born again but are not? According to Matthew chapter 7, they begin to talk to God about what they've done instead of what Christ has done. That is the equivalent of not being born again, ladies and gentlemen. If you can stand before Christ on the judgment day and tell him, oh God, you know, I cast out demons, Lord. I prophesied in your name, Lord. I did many miracles in your name, Lord. Come on. Jesus is like, get away. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. There is no way anybody is born again having stand or stood in front of Jesus Christ and say, look what I've done. Incredible deception and arrogance. Look what I've done. And by the way, if you've ever done any type of street evangelism or stranger evangelism, you'll find, oh, no, I think I'm going to heaven because I go to church or because I'm a pretty good person. Uh, as the psalmist said, or the, 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 everybody proclaims their own goodness until they come into contact with Jesus Christ. Absolutely not, ladies and gentlemen. We come into contact, those who are born again, have been, will do, please listen to this, they will do what they have been doing the entire time they've rejected the, the false condemnation from Satan and the principalities and powers. They will say, no, I will not be condemned because Christ died on the cross and the spirit within me bears witness of his sacrifice. So how is it po possible that we're not condemned? Well, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that will testify within you and has made you alive in Christ Jesus, but also will testify within you that you're not condemned. It needs to become a reality to everybody in this room who's born again. That you need to stop treating forgiveness as something to be earned, but rather to be received by the grace of Jesus Christ's sacrifice and by the power of the Holy Spirit making it real in your life.
No guilt in life. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. So how, how is this possible? Now that we got our position, we, we get our prevention. You continue. How do we walk in victory? Well, in verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many are as led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we also will be glorified together. Here is the answer that the Bible is reiterating, repeating with great redundancy over and over and over again. The key to victorious living in Christ is to be led by the Spirit of God, that Holy Spirit in us. This is a problem with many who do not have a fully orbed communion, as John Owen put it, with the triune Godhead. The Holy Spirit, made possible by the sacrifice of Christ, lives in the believer doing many works according to the word of God. His ministry is vast, ladies and gentlemen. In John 16, Jesus gives us the promise of the Holy Spirit. In verse 5, he says, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? Nevertheless. Oh, no, he says, excuse me, none of you ask me where I'm going because sorrow has filled your heart that I said I go away. Nevertheless, he says, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. And, I'll, and we'll read the rest of that in a moment, but I just want to make light briefly that this is the one rebuke in all of the upper room discourse. Four large discourses in the New Testament of Jesus Christ preaching. There's four major Preachings, And what I mean by major is he sits down and he gives an entire teaching in one sitting. You have the Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever preached. You have the kingdom parables revealing us to us heavenly truths through earthly stories. You have the Olivet Discourse, which Jesus is gracious enough to teach us about the end times. And then you have this, the Upper Room Discourse, which is the longest and unique to the others because he's just preaching to the 12 disciples or what would become the 11 because Judas goes out. And listen. He gives them one rebuke through it all. One. And he says, I've told you that I'm leaving. 
None of you asked me where I'm going. And because I said I'm going, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, and Jesus, by the way, he's so brief in his rebuke to those who are following him and yet so broad in his rebuke to those who are persecuting him. This is a lesson for us, by the way, that yes, there are times in our Christian life where we need to rebuke our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. There are times when we need to come to somebody who's a brother or sister in the Lord and say, hey, you need to stop doing this. You need to stop gossiping or you need to stop slandering. You need to stop whatever the case may be. But don't make that the consistent part of your Christian ministry to your fellow Christians. We got to take it easy. We got to be gracious. We got to be kind. However, and I have adopted this example from Jesus Christ, I believe, is that when it comes to these heretics and false teachers in our society all throughout the world and very vast are they in Kenya I have no problem warning people about these false teachers and false prophets and so-called apostles by the way self-appointed apostles I have no problem mentioning them I have no problem. And listen, I've tried to make it happen not doing it all the time, but I will warn you guys, some of you have come out of Winner's Chapel. That is a doctrine of demons, that place. You will be destroyed there. Stay away. And I don't say that to offend. I say that because I love people. Which one amongst us is if we saw our friends burning in a fire, or they're in a house where a fire is burning the house, would say, you know what, I would go save them, but I don't want to offend them by dragging them out of the house. Yeah, I know the house is burning to the ground, I know it, but you know, what if they want to stay in there? No, we run in and we try to save those who we can. And so Jesus is rebuking them. He's saying, you guys have been selfish. You're concerned with yourself. And the Bible says in Philippians 2, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And he goes on giving us the theology of Christmas, who being in the form of God did not consider a robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself of no reputation. Or one translation talks about his position in heaven. He did not hold it as something to be grasped, to, to hold on to. But he became a slave, coming in the likeness of men, becoming a bond slave, and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow of those in heaven, on earth, and under earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. But, but do you know that entire portion of Scripture? is a means by which Paul is telling the Philippians church to stop being, uh, to stop having strife and fighting. There's quarrels amongst you. There's disunity in your church. There's fighting. 
You, and here's the problem. You guys are preferring yourselves over other people. You're just only focused on you. And Paul says, Pref- prefer others above yourself. That's interesting. And then he gives us the greatest example of which somebody has preferred others above their self, and that is the incarnation and death of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ here in his disciples is like, you know what? You guys have been concerned with yourselves the entire time. I'm, I tell you where, I'm telling you I'm leaving. You don't even ask where, me where I'm going. Nevertheless, he says, enough with that rebuke. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Verse 8 of John chapter 16. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because of the ruler of this world is judged. And you ask yourself, and I hope you do, what does that mean? What is Jesus talking about? Well, he's telling us the work of the Holy Spirit, not the exhaustive work of the Holy Spirit, as I'll make mention in just a moment. But he's telling us three very fundamental works of the Holy Spirit. He is going to come convict the world of sin because they do not believe in Jesus Christ. There is one sin that will not ever be forgiven. That is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You remember when these religious leaders come to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is healing people. And the religious leaders trying to get the multitudes not to follow Jesus Christ are making up all kinds of terrible things about the Lord. And this is the worst thing they said about Jesus, his entire ministry. And they said, he does these works by the power of Satan, by the power of Beelzebub, the the ruler of demons. They're saying, it is Satan's power that is being used through Jesus Christ in performing these miracles. And Jesus talks about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin because they don't believe in Jesus Christ. Of sin, Jesus says, because they don't believe in me. The continued rejection of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to get humanity to believe in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, and the forgiver of sins, is the only sin that will not be forgiven. It just won't. There is one sin. You can stand before God having been forgiven of murder, adulteries, fornications, drunkenness, covetousness, idolatries, all forms of sexual immoralities. All sins can be forgiven but not the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ, which is the Holy Spirit's ministry on earth. 
the Holy Spirit convicting, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and people reject it. Now, I realize that is not a very Calvinist statement to make, but I am not a Calvinist, though I do love John Calvin. You understand, I believe it's very clear in the Bible that people can reject the Holy Spirit. They can reject Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us, tells us, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now, our belief doesn't regenerate us. The Holy Spirit regenerates us for we do not have the power because we're dead in our trespasses sins to regenerate ourselves. Nevertheless, we must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of sin because the world does not believe in Jesus. To convict also the world of righteousness. And Jesus says, because I go to be with my Father in heaven. What is Jesus saying? The Holy Spirit comes and convicts the world of righteousness. And, and, and he's in that conviction of righteousness teaching us that Jesus Christ is going to be with the Father. What does that mean? Well, listen. Jesus Christ is the first fruits of our salvation. And the only person that the Father will accept is the person and righteousness of Jesus Christ. So those of us who get to ascend to heaven, those of us who get to ascend to the Father after we die or when we're raptured are only those who are clothed in the garments of Christ. That's why the Bible talks about being clothed in robes of white righteousness. Our robes will be white as snow, white as wool. And we are, we literally, we, we, we put on Christ, the Bible says. And when we're in this, we get to ascend to the Father because we are under the covering of Christ himself. We have that confidence through the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Also of judgment. Why? Because the ruler of this world is judged. This is really cool too. As we heard the prophecy in Genesis 3.15 where God looks to the serpent. He says, I will crush your head. Jesus Christ came and crushed the head of the serpent, destroying the works of Satan. We live in a world and in a Christian faith in a relationship with Christ in complete victory. When we have doubts, when we have fears, we are reminded by the Holy Spirit that the battle is won. Amen? We're reminded. Now, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, guys, the Bible is teaching us that the way to prevent us from being fleshly, from walking in defeat, is to be spiritually minded, Romans chapter 8, back to Romans 8. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, for those who live according to the flesh will die. Once again, repeatedly, the Bible's telling us those who live according to the flesh will die. But if the Spirit is in you, 
you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's a great transference. Remember, we were learning this. Adam and Eve were created spirit, soul, and body. When they sinned, they switched to body, soul, and spirit, material beings, fleshly beings, concerned only with their retirement fund, with their material things. It's the first forefront of all their mind is things of the earth, things of the body. But now that we're born again, we're born of the spirit, we're spiritually minded. That's why we can give away finances for the sake of the kingdom, because we have an eternal perspective. That's why we give our time and our energy to the things of the kingdom, because we're spiritually minded. A way of saying this, many preachers says, is I don't live to eat. I eat to live. It's the difference between fleshly minded and spiritually minded. We just live our life so that we can eat of the foods and the material things that we want to consume. No, I don't leave to eat. I eat to live. Food is a means to an end. My job is a means to an end. Everything material is a means to an end. And the end is to glorify the person of Christ. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. This work of the Holy Spirit is vast. The Bible says that we can offend the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4.30. As I mentioned earlier, it says we can blaspheme the Holy Spirit, Matthew 12, 22 through 32. You know, even for believers, the Bible says that we can insult the Holy Spirit, Hebrews 10, 29. We can resist the Holy Spirit, Acts 7, 51. We can grieve the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4, 30. And we can quench the Holy Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. And please listen. All these verbs used insulting, offending, resisting, grieving, and quenching are in reference to how we address the Holy Spirit, how we commune with the Holy Spirit. Our Trinitarian worship should not be as much blended as it is separate. It should not be as much blended as it is separate and unique to each member of the Godhead. This uniqueness in our worship must be based in knowledge of each member of the Godhead, knowledge specific to their ministries and self-given responsibilities. I wrote that down. And let me tell you what I mean by that. We are to commune with each member of the Godhead, recognizing each ministry of that member. The Father does not have the same ministry as the Son. And the Son does not have the same ministry as the Holy Spirit. And please listen to this, church, because this is vitally important. This is the means by which we could have a revival. 
Those who were led by the Spirit not only testified the Spirit that they are the sons of God, but also those who will have the power to be witnesses for God. And that's why we put that up here. Acts 1.8, and you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the othermost parts of the earth. It is time, and as we are receiving this doctrine today, that we understand there is a person living inside of us, and this person is the Holy Spirit, and we are to commune with him. We are to have our communion with him, to be spiritually minded and spiritually led instead of fleshly minded and materially led. There is evidence of this, if you're still not convinced of this distinction in our worship and communion with the triune Godhead. By the way, this is equivalent to heresy when we don't believe in the Trinity. There's a church not far from us. It's across the street over there inside Longus a little bit. It's called a Branhamite church. They are followers of a gentleman by the name of William Branham. Anybody ever heard of William Branham? Raise your hand, a couple of you. William Branham was an American gentleman who said he was the angel of the last church age according to Revelation chapter 3. He was the prophet and angel to the world. And he really did popularize a phrase as he was doing his large tent, so-called tent revivals in America. And he would say that Trinitarianism is of the devil. What a misrepresentation of God's word. Totally opposite of what I'm trying to teach and the Bible's trying to teach us. It says in 2 Corinthians verse 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Look at the distinction between the third, three persons of the tr Trinity right there. Our communion is initiated by the love of the Father, ratified by the grace and sacrifice of the Son, Jesus Christ, and communicated through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Do you understand how important the role of the Holy Spirit? He is communicating the very ministry of the Father and the very ministry of the Son. The Father chooses us for life. Jesus Christ gives the sacrifice that leads to life. And the Holy Spirit gives us that life. You know, the Bible says the Holy Spirit has many different ministries. Number one, it says the Holy Spirit brings the promises of Christ to our remembrance. Guys, if you're not communion on a daily basis with the Holy Spirit, how will you remember in times of trouble the promises of God? How will you remember the promise of God in saying he will provide your needs according to his riches of glory if you're not in communion with the Holy Spirit. And church, 
Do we not need to be reminded that God will provide us for our food? I mean, are we a bunch of Presbyterians? Can I get at least one amen? No, it's, it'll be phony if you give it now. You got to wait 10 minutes before you give it. Do we not need reminded by the Holy Spirit that He will provide for us our food, our clothing, our shelter? But here's the problem. When you seek food, clothing, and uh, shelter first, you're not communing with the Holy Spirit. But when you seek God and His kingdom and His righteousness, which is communion with the Holy Spirit first, then you're reminded that He's going to provide. Do you see how a catch-22 is there? Focus on material things first. You won't be reminded of the provision of God. Focus on the Spirit first. You'll be reminded and you'll be comforted. Number two, ministry of the Holy Spirit is glorifying Jesus Christ in our hearts. John 16, 14. Number three, he, the Holy Spirit sheds abroad the love of God in our hearts. Romans 5, 5. Number four, the Holy Spirit witnesses with us that we belong to God and gives us our spiritual position in Christ. Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it goes on talking about how the Spirit makes that possible in our lives. Number five, He's sealing us unto the day of redemption. Ephesians 4.30, I'm just going to read these out. I don't have time to expand on every one of them. Verse six, being the earnest and final guarantee or down payment to our inheritance. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Number seven, anointing us with comfort, John 16, 7. If you're not communion with the Holy Spirit, how will you be comforted in times of trouble? Number eight, confirming our adoption, Romans 8, 15, we'll learn. We've already read it. Number nine, he's present with us in our supplications, Romans 8, 26 and 27. He, through our prayers, is the one communicating our prayers to God. We'll talk about that as we get to it. The point is, there is a vast ministry of the Holy Spirit that we need to be aware of and communing with on a daily basis. And that is not an exhaustive list, by the way. We in our worship need to identify the three members of the Godhead, especially as it's relevant to the study for today in the last few weeks, to our meditation, our prayer, and our submission. John Owen, the Puritan writer, called this a fully orbed communion with God, or to put it in other words, a full relationship with God. Thomas Goodwin, another Puritan writer, said, it's only when we understand the work of each member of the triune Godhead distinctly that we have true communion with God. And guys, we could go on about the profundities, how profound it is, the, the, the distinct works, because one of the profound realities of the three distinct works of the Holy Spirit is they all agree with each other. They all agree with each other. When's the last time that you and two of your friends, the triune friendship you have, ever agreed perfectly for longer than 10 minutes? I mean, three is an odd number. 
You know, when you get four, you get two people side with the other two. You get three, you usually get one who's excluded. And for all eternity past, the three members of the Godhead with their distinct ministries, distinct, separate ministries to humanity have perfectly agreed and worked together in perfect unity for all time. That's an incredible reality. John, excuse me, Thomas Goodwin also said, we should never be satisfied until these three persons lie level within us. Now listen, guys, I'm wrapping up in just a moment. I know this is a lot of doctrine and it might be more entertaining for me to preach practically about how to overcome. Give me a list. Isn't there a book out there, the top 10 ways to Christian victory? And some of these books are good. Don't get me wrong, but guys, this is the way to victory. It's the Bible's way of explaining it to us. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And he said, you do not receive the bondage of fear, the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are heirs and joined heirs with Christ. You know what the Bible's saying is? The Spirit makes it known and a reality within us to recognize that we don't have to fear in this life anything because we belong to God. And it's much more than, you know, yes, sir. You know, when my parents don't call, or excuse me, my children don't call me father. Neither do my parents, but my children don't call me father. They're still young enough, they call me daddy. Can you, wouldn't it be awkward if my parents, or not my parents. Wouldn't it be awkward if my children came up and said, Father, may I have some food? Now I'm not saying we shouldn't respect our parents, we should. But guys, do you know when their kids, you, my children, they... I don't know, I'm not saying develop these same things that I have, but my kids know that they can come get in my bed and jump right on me. Especially when they were little. They call me daddy. That's probably the equivalent in our English language of what the Bible's trying to get us to say. That the spirit within us is causing us to have such a closeness with the Father that we can approach the Father saying, Dad, your son is here, your daughter is here. And yet so many of us are so separated in our doctrinal, mental, our, our minds from God. I. I appreciate in Kenya, it's even more so in the States, you guys respect, most of you, your pastors, your leadership. You have a reverence for authority. I appreciate that. I do. 
But it has gone to an imbalance, right? I have asked people who've left different ministries like Winner's Chapel or Now or but like, well, did you confront your pastor before you left when he stole all the money or when he preached that seed faith doctrine or when he said that like, no, uh, I couldn't do it. And I believe that a lot of it is there is a respect for authority and I appreciate that. I've noticed here within our church a lot, and I understand it's out of respect and stuff, that people have this kind of separation from me. Not in a bad way. They, they mean to respect, and maybe they're nervous or fearful. They can't approach or say hi or bye. Or they, I, I get all of this. I'm not saying it's a bad motive. But I believe that same kind of thing is what separates us from God the Father. He's way up there. He's probably mad at me. I've been a bad boy. I've been a bad girl. And I'm just glad that Jesus Christ loves me. I know the Father sent him, and he was really mad at Jesus for my sin, so he, he killed him. No. We can approach God the Father and the Holy Spirit is trying to get us to realize and call him dad. Hey, dad, I'm really, I'm struggling down here. I know you're with me. The Holy Spirit's testified within me. Now listen, guys, listen. What I'm trying to teach us, I, the Bible's trying to teach us, is a communion with the Spirit to recognize our position in Christ and to walk in the prevention of sin, which is walking in the victory of Christ. But you can't do that without communion with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible's taught us in Romans 7 and Romans 8 that the battlefield is the mind. The Bible says, do not be deceived. Whatever a man sows, that he will reap. People, uh, you know, we're gathering today to sow into the spirit, right? The spiritual life that we have in communion with the Holy Spirit. We're here today at church, all of us in this room right now, sowing into the Spirit. But there are people who didn't feel like coming today and they stayed home and they're going to wonder why they're going to have a terrible week. It's like, man, I just, I had a really, it's like I, I'm not connected to God. God's not hearing me. I'm not hearing Him. It's like, well, you stayed home on Sunday and watched uh, Nigerian soap operas instead of going to church and hearing the book of Romans taught. Sowing into the mind spiritual things as you have communion with God through the Holy Spirit. All week long, just watching TV. And then you go to work and you wonder why you have no power. No prevention when it comes to sin and evil thinking. You've been 
Guys, you've been watching murder, fornication, sexual immorality, disunity, strife, gossip, slander, all on your television. And, you, and we're wondering why the church is so deceived and lost. Then you turn on the radio at work. And it, guess what the topic of the day on a political channel is in Kenya? Let me check if the Kenyan government's still corrupt. Yep, the Kenyan government's still corrupt. All day long. Sowing into the flesh. I'm not saying all news is sowing in the flesh, but if you, were, if you think the Kenyan government's corrupt for one second apart from the Kenyan people, you're deceived. The Kenyan government's corrupt because Kenyans are corrupt. The United States of America is going down because... The citizens of America are corrupt. There's no longer a Christian consensus and a Christian application. We, we, we blame all these people, which I, you know, Nancy Pelosi and Mussolini and all of these different people and uh, President Biden and his wife who came to Kenya promoting homosexuality. I mean, this guy can't even walk on a stage and we think we should listen to him. We, we hear all this stuff and we think for one second that it's their fault. No, it's the church's fault. It's the church's fault in Kenya and it's the church's fault in America. It's the church's fault in Kenya that the Kenyan government is so corrupt because we would rather to collect 500 shillings from a political candidate and vote for him than say no to him and not have no shillings at all. And the American government is corrupt because the church has stayed silent like they did in Germany during World War II. Do you understand that if we were spiritually minded people, revival would happen just in the group of people who are here today? But we continue to watch the devil's television to television. Did you catch that? Now, guys, I'm not against watching a, a good movie. But we fill our minds with fornication and sexual immorality and murder and violence and strife and gossip and slander. I mean, give me a break. If you don't turn off the Nigerian and Spanish and Chinese soap operas, you will never be used by God because you're filling your mind with stupid things. I mean, you could start naming the characters. Oh, did you hear that Vanessa cheated on a Carlos? <laughs> and you begin talking about it with your friends in town. Instead of spiritually minded things. You know bad people talk about other people? Good people talk about history and great people talk about ideas? Do you have any ideas of what you'll do for the Lord this week? Is the Spirit of God leading you not in just what you shouldn't be doing, but what you should be doing? It only comes with the communion of the Holy Spirit. I promise you that. As the worship team comes up, listen, guys. Nobody has ever gone in a dark room and tried to push the darkness out 
with Arungu. Has anybody gone in a room with Arungu and said, darkness, get out of here. Cha-cha! No. Has anybody gone in a room with a gun? It's like, don't worry, I'll get the darkness out of this room with this gun. The darkness ain't going to leave. You're just fighting this stuff with material things, with the flesh. What do you do, ladies and gentlemen, to get the darkness out of a room? You turn on the lights, right? And the darkness leaves. How are you going to overcome pornography? Is it by having the will not to look at pornography? No, you're just trying to shoot the darkness with a gun. How are you going to overcome masturbation? Just, I won't do it, I won't do it, I won't do it. You're trying to get the darkness out with a rungu. Turn on the light. As you, communion with the Holy, as you commune with the Holy Spirit and have the Word of God wash your mind. That's what you do. The battle's already been won. The battle's already been secured by Christ and the Holy Spirit's ministry is to remind us and comfort us and strengthen us, but we're quenching the Holy Spirit because we're watching the filth of the world. We're listening to the filth of the world rather than walking in the victory of Christ that is giving us the power of that victory through the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? We got to repent of this. You say, you know what? I, I have been filling my mind with bad things. And there's some people I don't need to be friends with anymore. All they do is gossip or try to get me to go to the bar or try to get me to go to their house and do terrible things. I'm not going to do it no more. I am going to protect my mind and turn, a, turn on in my mind the light of God's word. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you guys, have you ever prayed and in your prayer speak to the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, come upon me. Holy Spirit, thank you. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for reminding me that, that you're going to provide, that, that the Father is going to provide for my needs. Because if you're not doing that, guys, you're just living a miserable life that is just, you're just surviving the world. We are not meant to survive this world. We are meant to walk in victory and power and the power of God's victory, Christ's victory, and the power of the Holy Spirit. We are supposed to be the most influential people in this city of Eldoret. We are supposed to be the most influential people at our workplace. We are supposed to be the most influential people at our schools. And the church is not influential in Kenya because we're not walking with a spiritual mind. Let us pray that God would help us with that. Lord, we recognize what your word is saying to us today. To be spiritually minded. We don't want to be deceived. That which we sow, we know we'll reap. We're sowing fleshly, material things into our mind. I pray your Holy Spirit would come upon us 
that we would recognize, Holy Spirit, that you want communion with us each and every day. Help us, Lord. That we may have victory in our schools, in our universities, at our workplace, in our families, and even see a change in this government. We thank you, Lord. I also pray over the offering as we receive it. Receive it as an act of love and worship. In Jesus' name, amen.